Joe David Wilson has graduated from this life. Going forward, we will continue to honor his legacy, knowledge, and love of thy Lord by continuing to play sermons pre-recorded prior to his graduation. We invite you to honor his memory by attending worship services or joining us online for a further Bible study. Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. Searching His mind, we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida. Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Of all the enemies that we have in this world, the enemy of our soul, the individual being, entity, that hates you far worse than you can ever begin to imagine is Satan. And for somebody to voluntarily obey Satan is beyond the realm of comprehension. Yet there are a lot of people who find these things to be self-evident in the life in which they live. You can't overcome Satan with force. You can't overcome him with tyranny. You can't overcome him by compulsion or violence. He's got more ways of coming at you to get you to do what he wants than anybody who sits around all day long trying to figure out how to destroy you can ever come up with. Satan's got about five to six thousand years of experience on each one of us. He's tried everything. He's done everything. He's perfected all of his ways. He has always made himself a master at what he did and does. But he couldn't overcome the swine until he asked for permission. Now that's amazing to me. Turn with me to Matthew 8 and verse 31. I was reading and studying and this just hit me like a ton of bricks. The Bible says, verse 31 of Matthew 8, So the devils besought him, Christ, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. The herds of Job. Satan had to get permission to destroy. Go back to the Old Testament, the book of Job. The first chapter. And I want you to look at the verse that I have reference to. And that's verse 12. Job chapter 1, verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Even with the herds of of Job, Satan had to get permission to destroy. When Jesus was talking with his disciples, Simon Peter Simon Peter put his hands under his armpits and was rared back saying, I'm big, bad, and tough, Lord. All of them will flee, but I'll never forsake thee. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that when thou art tempted... Thou wilt not fall. 
even when he uses his biggest tool, the tool of deceitfulness. He cannot overcome all men. God said, consider my servant Job. There's none like him in all the earth. Now, you know, according to what we understand, who was walking the earth at the time Job was here? Abraham. God said, there ain't nobody like Job. Now, to validate that, later, the Old Testament writes where God said, because Israel will not repent and Judah will not be obedient, I'm going to destroy her. And even though three of the greatest men that ever lived were in there, they alone I might save, but the rest of them I would destroy. Job's mentioned. Should God have destroyed all that that Job had? How could he have justified salvation and not protected Peter. What is the decisive understanding of Satan's devices? Because of Satan, Adam was defeated. And through 10,000 more has overcome they who could be a part of the kingdom of God. Should he not be destroyed? And the rest of these go free. They who overcame has to be in a position that is far superior than the one who overcome them or overcame them. Or to put it another way, the ones who overcame the devices of Satan and have remained faithful in the death to receive the crown of life are far more valuable to God than those that were destroyed. If the antagonist is taken away, the man who overcomes is injured and is betrayed. And the slothful will not be brought to repentance because they'll not take heed. Sometimes God has to take the venom out of hell and make it the antidote of salvation. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel wouldn't be obedient, wouldn't march forward, God told Moses to take a stake, put it in the ground, and put one of those snakes on it. And he said, he that looks on that snake shall live. Now, the very thing that was destroying and killing all those people, God took as an antidote, or he took it as a representative And he made it salvation. What a mean, cruel being this Satan is. But the sad part about Satan and the thing that we don't understand about a lot of people who are his disciples, and this is sad, is that Satan was evil and wicked by nature. He was evil and wicked by choice. He chose to be that way. If man does not heed, Satan will take that that he will use to destroy other people and accuse that individual whom he's trying to destroy of doing what they've been accused of. I often can tell how the enemies of the gospel feel by hearing them speak about the preaching of the gospel. If a man does not heed what Satan does, Satan can use other people to destroy those who are not wrong and accuse them of doing the wrong that Satan has done. How many other ways can I put it? You can often tell what sometimes people want to do by hearing what they say about they whom they think is their enemy. 
Look, they'll accuse you of things you never dreamed about, never entertained. Because your heart and mind and soul is in a different place than theirs. And to do that that you've been accused of as a child of God has somebody else doing the talking, not you. When Satan saw mankind and the honor that God had given him, he immediately meant to destroy him. He cared not for the person or the station or the love or the heart. He envied mankind for the good that he had in him. He succeeds to get the faithful to fight the faithful a lot of times. And in doing so, destroy the cause of Christ. John writes, they went out from us because they were not a part of us. Had they been a part of us, they would no longer, they would no doubt have continued with us. But because they were not a part of us, they went out from us. Now look at the definitions of the names that Satan wears. And you can kind of see what kind of a person, individual, angel that he is. The word devil means a slanderer. So when you run into somebody that's trying to slander the name of a child of God or trying to make that person look like they're the meanest thing walking or trying to emulate that that Satan, their father, has commanded them to do in trying to destroy that person by bringing an unreal question about the name and character, you're looking at a slanderer. Listen, Satan slandered God. You think he's not going to get you? He slandered angels. He even slandered creation. The word devil is a slanderer. He told God, he said, let me tell you something. Job doesn't serve you because he loves you. You think he doesn't serve you for another reason? He doesn't serve you for naught. He wants what you've got to give him. Always in dealing with Satan, we have to be real aware of his tactics. If you don't know the tactics of the devil, you're not going to be able to fight him. In the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, and the 23rd verse, the apostle Paul was standing in fear of his life. And the Bible says... After preaching the gospel, he came across something that the devil is the best at that there's ever been. Read with me. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Yeah, they don't think he's their God. Old black preacher I used to listen to, and he was a great, great student of the scriptures. <laughs> he had such a common sense approach. No, he didn't know the Greek. He didn't know the Hebrew. He didn't know the tense or the voice. He didn't know any of those things. All he did was love the Lord. He kept telling me, Brother Joe, in the race of life, There's the doctrine of election. In the doctrine of election, there's three that vote. Now, some people are going to pass this up because they think it's too simple. But this is extremely profound. He said, here you are as an individual. God is going to vote for you. And the devil is going to vote against you. And you have to break the tie. God the Father sent God the Son who died on the cross. He voted for you. But the very minute that the gospel of Christ was preached, the devil began to vote against you. You see... 
<coughs> the devil likes to tell a little bit of the truth so that it can seem reasonable and plausible and right so that you'll listen to him and not be obedient to the God of heaven. Ah, oh, somebody will say, my reverend or my preacher. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a God-fearing, God-loving man. Well, the first thing he would do if he was what you said he ought to be, he ought to not let you call him reverend. He ought to not let you be a part of a denominational church. But again, here comes the device of Satan. Turn to 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter. The Bible talks about here, I mean, Second Corinthians, and the Bible talks about here the means by which we who are children of God can make sure that we're not on the wrong side of any equation when it comes to the Scriptures. If we don't understand the law of God, then we're not obedient to his commands. We have somebody who directs us. And in directing us, we are reckoned with the obedient or the disobedient. Paul says, marvel not, for Satan himself is transformed into a minister of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers are transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end is according to their works. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. The devil's going to tell part of the truth. He's going to tell God is love. He's going to tell that you have to obey God. But then when it comes to the point of how you obey God, he's going to change it just enough. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Satan's angels come along, or his servants, his preachers, and teach, no, he that believes is saved, and he can be baptized to join his denomination. Somebody say, well, what's the difference? Eternity with God. The Bible says upon the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread. Satan says, just come together three times a year. We're going to come up with Passover. We're going to come up with Pentecost. We'll come up with Christmas. You come three times a year, you can go to heaven like that. And the guileless and the unlearned and the disobedient are going to hear just a little bit of truth. Well, Jesus did die at the period of time called the Passover. And on the day of Pentecost, the gospel was first preached. And it should be just reasonable and right to celebrate the birthday of our Lord. So we think that this is probably okay. And they never search the scriptures to see if in them those things are taught. Because Satan has been good at deceiving those who don't follow the truth. He destroys without compassion. But he does it by permission. Oh, there's a lot of times people ask a question. Why is it I'm a child of God and my brothers and uncles and aunts and sisters and all this other wasn't? He was given permission. Folks, he couldn't even kill the pigs without permission. Amen. Now, you can taunt his glory and disrespect his position and power, but when you come back down to the credibleness of all of this, Satan does nothing but that he has been given permission to do it. Well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. If you do it, the devil might have led you in the deception, but he got permission. A real secret that God has allowed us to see that a lot of times people don't reckon. In the book of Second Peter, the third chapter and the fifth verse, 
the Apostle Peter writes are words that really we should listen to very carefully. When talking about the destruction of the world and the end of time, as Peter was in this chapter, he mentions those of the first covenants, one of which was destroyed with water. They knew. They knew it was coming. They were told. Peter says, in verse 5, if you're there, for this they willingly are ignorant of. They, a lot of people just don't want to know the Word of God. And by not knowing and not searching and not studying, they do that willingly. Do you think then that God is going to bless those who are willing, accomplices to the work of Satan with salvation? Can't you see that sometimes the refiner's edge makes a distinction between those who are saved and those who will never be? There's a lot of times that as we look at the parallel between Satan and error and denominationalism, we know and can reckon that one has to be from the other. Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil in John eight forty four. Well, Satan never fathered anybody spiritually, did he? Oh, yes. He got a whole bunch of children out running around. Do they wear his name? No. Do they believe the doctrine that Satan has taught? Yes, and it can be multifarious or it can be multidimensional or it can have many different things in it that are involved. And But they'll get along together. One can teach, well, you can sprinkle for baptism. The other will say, no, it's got to be immersion. One will say, no, it don't have to be that at all. It don't have to be baptism in any sense. And yet they can all come together in agreement for a big religious ex- extravaganza and let on like it. Everybody there is a child of God. When represented there are about a hundred different ways to become a child of God that Satan came up with. And what hopefully is not there <laughs> are those who are part of the one Lord, one faith, and one baptism that Jesus started. He said, Father, I pray that they all might be one as thou art in me and I in thee that the world might believe. Now, he's not the cause of our ills. We are. He causes judgment to come upon us because being the enemy of the weak, he preys on and is the inventor of misery. But usually, most of the time, you can recognize the devil and his servants is because they're just never happy. There's something always going to be wrong with anything that happens. He invents misery. He intends for people not to be happy. He enters the desperate whose ways from God will not get them their desires. And they're not even happy about that. He seeks the mastery of our conscience. And so his commands seem rational. And not really as bad as God's. And so we think we can get away with it. And we come up with the idea and the conclusion that sin's just not really that bad. It's just the story somebody's told me. But he's your God, your deity. If you stay at home when the Lord's family comes together. When the rest of your brethren meet with the Lord and you're not there. When the gospel of Christ can be preached faithfully and forcefully and you attend where it isn't done that way at all and you're deceived and seduced into thinking you're doing the will of God. He loves the loud and the ostentatious and hates the humble and repentant. 
And any time that you look at Satan and his ways, you're going to see these characteristics usually fit most of the time. Jesus gave an example one time of Satan and his people. He said there were two men went into the temple to pray. One was a publican and the other was a Pharisee. And the Pharisee stood back in the temple and said, Lord, I'm good, ain't I? Ain't you glad I'm on your side? Lord, what would you do without me? I'm number one stuff. I'm prime pedigree. He looked over at that publican or that sinner and he said, I'm glad I'm not like him. I fast. I tithe. I'm just the best thing that ever happened to you, God. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? And the sinner would not so much as lift his head up to heaven and smote himself on the chest and cried, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. These people that are always trying to judge you because you don't do what they want instead of what God says are the people that are going to cause you to be obedient to a deity you don't claim to be obedient to. Why, even in the New Testament, while Jesus was in the preamble, there were those who were blaming God for the fire that fell down from heaven. There were those in the day of Job, I'm sure, that when his family was destroyed and the fire and the windstorm came and destroyed all that Job had, his children, their houses, their family, their crops, and all that. They blamed it on God. And so God caused it. Because Adam was slothful and didn't pay any attention to business, he fell. And I'm sure a lot of times blamed it on God. Where Job did not blame it on God. He championed the cause of God. There's a lot of times things hurt. And some, and for us, now's the time of pain. But we don't have to involve ourselves in that for eternity. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know, Joe, it's awful to get old. Yeah, but what are you going to do? You can't get young. I said, you know, I can get old, but I, I can't get young. I've tried all this stuff to get young, and it don't seem to work. That means I better get myself in a position to meet God in peace. They said, I'll take some medicine. Well, now you go and you take the medicine that has been given you by a qualified doctor and you may be healed of your malady. But what about the person that takes some medicine from an unqualified doctor and dies? Medicine sometimes kills. Now, for a child of God, the medicine of the gospel will kill the desires that Satan has put in their heart, will kill the denominational doctrine, will kill the denominational church. And when you talk about the gospel of Christ to them, they'll say, well, that offends me. That makes me mad. I don't want to hear that. Well, the cause of Christ, the gospel of Christ will cause that to be done. Learning what and how Satan acts and his devices should be able to help us to ward him off, to withstand him. But there's so many times that we get so involved in life and so overcome with the moment that if we're not careful, we're thrown off the stage of obedience because he's made it seem so plausible that it has to be. People tell me every once in a while, well, my grandma didn't obey the gospel. Well, I feel sorry for her. But what does your grandma in obeying the gospel have to do with you obeying the gospel? Well, she didn't do it, and if I do, I'll condemn her. Well, time out. Unless she's a whole lot younger than I think she might be, She's already passed from this life to the next. And you may think you're important, but what you do will have no effect on her eternity. And if you let her and her unqualified obedience 
determine what you're going to do to obey God. Don't blame that on your grandma. Blame that on a loyalty that God has not sanctioned. Creation was made by God. The Bible says it was good and very good. But between, between the time of creation and the Hadian world, Satan came about. I don't know how long that was. But I know it didn't take God long to take care of the situation. For the Bible says, Matthew 25, 41, that God made hell for the devil and his angels. And there Satan's dominion was established. And from that point, he began to try to make and take over the world. Now, these eyes that we have in our head were made to see the glory of creation. But what we have can be used to be our own enemy. And the eyes that God gave us to see his glory can be used to lust after things that we cannot have. Or plot the demise of that person that we don't want to be involved with. A thing that is that that so nobody else can have it but us, we're going to have. We may not want it, but we don't want them to have it either. These feet were given us to come to the house of the Lord and to drink of the water of life freely. But they can lead this to the bar rooms of hell. And we can stay drunk on Satan's brew until life leaves this body. And what has happened? But we've listened to Satan. The gospel of Jesus Christ has given us. It's given us in plain and simple language, written basically on a third grade level. And this gospel is such that we can read it and understand it. Listen, it takes a person who is not even a nitwit who can understand he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But what has Satan done? He's taken these people with two or three, four, five doctor's degrees some that even translated the scriptures from one language to the other, and they never have obeyed what they've translated. Or they've never believed what they read. And so they'll come along and they'll say, well, I love Jesus and I believe him, but I'm not going to be baptized to be saved. Why? Satan. Satan's devices have caught you. The man who is controlled by Satan knows not his disease and cannot appreciate the remedy because he's not decided to do what God has commanded and God alone. God has made his end visible so that his end is something he knows and understands. He's told him that the righteous are going to be saved, but the unrighteous shall perish. And yet the unrighteous who can live by and work with the righteous from day to day can turn out to be the biggest enemy that the righteous ever had because they're telling the truth. So the apostle Paul writes, why have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. You have people that don't like you. Not because of the way you comb your hair. Not by the fact that you have halitosis. Or that you might not use right guard. And you may not know why they don't like you. And they may not have a real handle on it. But in the final analysis, your spirit has been read by their spirit. And they know in you there's no quarter to accept defeat for the word of God. And they can't stand somebody that's going to tell them they're wrong when they're so dead sure, and the word dead's qualified there, that they're right. Satan has convinced them to commit spiritual suicide. They have decided that they're going to follow the law that their grandmother or mother or father or uncle or whomever it might be has done in obedience to God, even though God has not commanded it, in spite of God. 
and they accept the fact that the people that they are in love with or did love have passed on and they've brought disgrace and shame on the name of those good people because they think that they want them or they want to be in the same condition as the people who didn't get to hear the gospel were. I got to keep telling you over and over again. He's the master and the plotter of our curse. No wonder Simon Peter wrote, beware, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeketh, seeking those whom he may desire. Now I'm going to write it on the board. I think it's so plain you can't miss it. God said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The devil says, okay, you can believe that's okay. Just don't get too serious about it. But I want to sprinkle you for baptism. And I want you to tell everybody that that will save you. Well, somebody said, well, sprinkling and immersion are not the same thing. It don't matter. But it does matter. God said it. No, it doesn't matter. You see, this is what my people did. And this is what your people did. So you know what? It's a question between mine and yours. And I got to defend my people. It's not that what God said. It's between mine and yours. Now, how simple can it be? I've done this before. Two plus two equals four. Belief plus baptism equals salvation. Two plus one equals three. Everybody agrees with that on base 10. But Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And nowhere said, he that believeth and is sprinkled or praised through at an altar can be saved. They are willingly ignorant of that truth. I'm going to cite you to Brother Peter again. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by, by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. I've had people tell me, well, you know, where I was raised, we didn't have a church that taught this. Well, where you were raised, did they have a Bible? This Bible has been there all the time. What about the person who wouldn't read it and question it? Now, if I'm going to go to school and I take a test and I take a test and I fail it because I say two plus uh, one is not four, I'm going to go to the teacher and I'm going to ask him why. I got a natural curiosity. How come he told me this? Well, what if my natural curiosity doesn't work? Then I don't care. And I can believe a lie and be damned. Is that God's fault? But then I come along and I, somebody brings to my attention, now wait a minute, 2 plus 1 equals 3. It's 2 plus 2 equals 4. If you want to get the right answer, you've got to do the right correction. And I say, oh, well, you know, I can't believe that because my uncle didn't believe that. And I'll condemn him if I believe it that way. (laughs) Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't understand what God you serve. Don't find yourself in a position to not be pursuant to what God's commands are. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they that testify of me. There's a reason some people have never been born again. You can make it private. You can make it personal. You can make it doctrinal. You can make it anything else you want. But the reason you don't do what Jesus Christ has commanded you to do comes from one source. Satan. And if you're ignorant of his devices, 
if you are retardant in trying to search the scriptures to see if what you believe is true, if you're going to blame it on the dead and say, well, this is the reason I'm not a child of God, that's up to you. Be forewarned and foreknow. It is Jesus said, who said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Somebody said, but it didn't say, and is not baptized. Well, no, he didn't, but let me ask you a question. He that drinks liquor and gets drunk will become an alcoholic sooner or later. Did I say he that just drinks will not become an alcoholic? No, you see, he has to drink enough to get into that form of mind to where he can't have anything to do but that alcohol of excuse to disobey God. The person who convinces themselves that somebody else is their cause of not being obedient to God has an alcoholism that came from hell. There's only going to be one person that stands in judgment at death, and that's you. And if you don't obey God, you can blame it on whoever you want to. You can use whoever you want to as an example or a reason as to why you didn't. Just like me the other day, I went to pay my car payment, and they said, and this is just an example. Linda pays a car payment. She takes care of that. I went to pay my car payment as an example, and they said, but you owe us two. No, I don't owe you two. I only owe you one. No, you owe us two. No, I only owe you one. Well, we got into an argument. They just checked out the number of payments. As to the number I've made, showed me the checks I've written, and guess what I owe them? Two. Now, I felt that it was okay not to owe them that second payment until I found out that I do. What was I going to do then? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You'll say, I believe, but I'm not going to be baptized because somebody else or something else or someone else or some preacher or some doctrine told me not to do that. What's that going to do for you, friend? Your goal is salvation. Now, Satan's device will be to get you not to obey the God of heaven so that you can spend eternity in anguish and hell. Blame it on whoever you want to. Has God given him permission to damn you? If you need to respond to the invitation of the gospel, will you come as we stand and sing? We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. If you would like a tape of today's program, write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word, the Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Good evening. <clears throat> uh, in the opening prayer, Mike read John 12, 48. Um, <clears throat> some say that Jesus Christ was just a man and even a great teacher, but he was and is much more than that. <clears throat> Christ wasn't just some spiritual individual that was doing his time on earth. He was both God's son and God himself and God in human flesh. In John 3.16, and yes, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. In Colossians 2, verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus claimed to be God, and it might be hard to understand how this could be true, it is also important to remember that 
is that there is, it is much bigger and more powerful than we could comprehend. We do know that Jesus said that he existed before Abraham in John 8, verse 58. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus said that he and his father are one, and that he is equal with the father, claiming to be something. As Jesus <clears throat> claimed to be God, doesn't make it true. So where, where is the evidence that he is God? Jesus' identity isn't based solely on what he says, but on what he does. Christ has left a lot of evidence that he is God. That evidence includes the fulfilled prophecies and the recorded miracles. And Jesus also lived a sinless life, something that no one else has ever done. The ultimate proof of Christ's divinity, <clears throat> divinity however, was his, res- his resurrection <clears throat> from the dead after his death on the cross. No one else has ever risen from the, from the dead on his own. In Luke 4, in verse 8, Jesus says, It is written, You shall worship thy Lord and your God and serve him only. He said, and he showed many times, that he is the Lord. Jesus says, for example, that he is the first and the last. In Revelation 22, verse 17 I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In which God the Father says in, in Isaiah 44 and verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. God has shown himself to us in three ways, as the Father and as the Son and as a, as the Holy Spirit. Each has a separate function, and yet they are all united as one God. Now, Jesus being called God's son, does that mean that God had a wife? God has never had a wife. God has always coexisted before time began, before the Garden of Eden, and even man himself. God has, has always been. Calling Jesus God's son is an, is an expression of his role in relation to God the Father. Unlike us, Jesus was not conceived by two earthly parents. He was born of a virgin through a miraculous work of God. Being born of a virgin might seem impossible. Even Jesus' mother Mary asked, how would this be? And that is stated in Luke 1 in verse 34, and then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And yet God is all-powerful and made a way for Jesus to be born as a human. In Matthew 1, verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy, <clears throat> is of the Holy Ghost. And 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. <clears throat> Jesus was not born out of a sexual relationship between God and Mary, but instead out of a miracle by God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ's birth gave man a way. And there is one way to heaven and one way to be free from your sin and to have a a relationship with God that's through Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. To have eternal life in heaven, you must 
<clears throat> you must put your trust in Jesus. And here's why. <clears throat> Meaning we all fall short of God's perfect standard. The consequences of sin is death. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. This means <clears throat> eternal separation from God. But because Jesus lived a sinless life, his death on the cross provided the perfect sacrifice for our sins because he defeated death by, ri- by rising again and we can have eternal life in the presence of God when we put our trust in him. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it reads, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Christ came <clears throat> to give man a way to everlasting life, with God the Father. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, chapter 16, verse 26, and this verse is also written in red, for what profit it is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Our soul <clears throat> is a part of us that is going to live on forever and ever throughout all eternity. Jesus says concerning the lost, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous, the righteous into eternal life. In Matthew 20, chapter 25, and verse 46, everlasting punishment in hell and eternal life in heaven will both be forever and ever and without end. We cannot afford to miss heaven and be eternally punished in hell. To be eternally lost in hell will be a tragic. But time is something that we do not have a lot of. Time is of the essence. We have to prepare for the future. And Christ left many examples for man to follow. And one is to be baptized for the remissions of sins and to be added to the book of life. If you are here tonight and have heard the gospel and need to be added to the kingdom of God, that is eternal, will you come? We have water available. Will you come as we sing the hymn of invitation? If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel, at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.